0: Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is what you've been playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. And on this episode Dice and Dragons, The Tabletop Bellhop, Board on the Air, The Meeple Dungeon, Friday Night Games of Dice and Men definitely a board game podcast, and Cardboard Conjecture. Always remember to check out the show notes for links to all the content creators of the What You Been Playing Wednesday cast. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy.
1: What up gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on...
2: YouTube! Instagram, at Dice and Dragons, and Twitter, at Dice and Dragon.
1: And on Facebook, too.
2: Yes, well, <laughs> Dyson Dragons on Facebook. Twitter is the only one where we are missing the S. So, Julie, what is it today? It is what you've been playing Wednesday, and we have been playing Zombicide
1: 2nd Edition.
2: Now, just for the record, I am the only one of us that has played the original Zombicide. I played the first season of Zombicide Modern that a friend of mine owns. Other than that, we have played Zombicide Invader as well as Zombicide Black Plague. I really like the Black Plague. Now, for those of you wondering if we're gonna be getting the Western one? No. It's not happening. We already have three full Zombicides. And the reason why we picked this one up is there are campaigns. We haven't gotten to that yet. We've just been getting a nice refresher by playing the base game so julie what are your thoughts on modern and i remember that uh, you didn't really want me to pick this one up originally so i am one of these few people who
1: is not uh, enthralled or uh, i don't love zombies let's put it uh you know bluntly i'm not a big fan of uh of zombies i don't watch the walking dead i they creep me out it just doesn't do anything for me that being said this is a game um but i have to say from a uh a look perspective, I think I still prefer Black Horde. Uh, That's more my um, preference, I would say. You mean Black
2: Plague slash Green Horde. There's two of them. One is supposed to be more historical. The other one is fantasy, but they're all zombies like fantasy, essentially.
1: Okay, the one where we had all those extra characters that are supposed to be other things, but they're called, uh, you know, so where you have...
2: Badger, who's Wolverine, and the uh, super... Well, I don't remember her name, but she's basically Wonder Woman and just... Eats Abominations for Breakfast. Yes. Yeah. Well, we do have all those cool characters for second edition as well, but we're playing the base game because, you know, that's what we gotta review. Yep. We'll take them out. I mean, we do have to play another game of this to fully cover the rules. We've got the cars coming up. And the question is, do you wanna play as the teenage mutant ninja turtles? Oh, maybe. We have those so we can bust them out. But let's talk about the game itself. Sorry. Second edition versus, well, the other Zombicide games.
1: It freaks me out the the kids component of it. Honestly, the fact that the kid like the seeing those the kids with the bats and the guns. It, anyways,
2: uh, I, I gotta that's a good point. So, so that is something that may bother some people. What I do like though is in terms of the kids that we're seeing holding, uh, like the really violent weapons. They look to be a little bit more, and they're like late mid to late teens so far the only kid that i can identify as i'd say maybe you know like under I mean, that 15 year old age is holding a bat so i'm just i'm just putting it into context but it is a little freaky but it does go with the theme i mean the walking dead game has you playing as, and I'm drawing a blank, uh, Clementine, who is really young in the first game. You have to make some really, well, you play as her in the second game, but she's your companion in the first game, and you got to make some really tough decisions. So
1: this is still Zomicide. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're rolling dice. uh, You're uh, trying to kill uh, walkers, runners, uh, fatties, abominations. Uh, and you know, you still get to uh, level up a little bit with experience. Uh, so far, I mean, I've enjoyed the special weapons. I think they're
2: just- well, that is a new thing that we definitely should talk about is the the new special weapons, which they call the pimp weapons. And it basically just fast tracks uh, a way for you to get a solid weapon. In the game, and I think it's really cool. Uh, the nice thing about the pimp weapons and the objectives is they're already on the tile, so you know exactly where they go. Now I'll let you continue. I just wanted to. No, that's fine. That. That's
1: a good. I think it's good clarification. Uh, I mean, I felt like we got to level up uh, fairly quickly, even in the um, the tutorial versions. Um, I mean, there are still some wonkiness depending on what stuff comes up. I mean, you ha- you're playing with cards again, so you can get some really bad turns of cards depending on how you know, the cards are, are playing for you and the same thing that you're rolling dice. I mean uh, there were moments that I was rolling like a boss and other times where I you know, just couldn't kill a walker to save my life.
2: Yes and to give a good example of that last night we actually decided to uh, fudge the rules just a little bit because we were literally one draw away from winning the game. We drew the only thing that could slow us down which was an abomination as the spawn and the exit were at the exact same spot. It was late at night. And also, we didn't I want to mean, play another hour kiting abominations around the map.
1: Technically, you know, technically in that case, I just uh, went ahead and, and tried to kill everything with one player. And uh, then that left me out and forced us to have to play again. So, I mean, we could have done well, that We had to do an extra
2: round, essentially, because yeah. of the way you
1: Yeah, and if I hadn't done that, we would have been out. So it's not really fudging it. We had won it. It's just, you know...
2: It would have taken us longer to play it by the exact rules. Uh, That being said, I do find that the game is a lot more streamlined. Now, I may be remembering this wrong, so anyone can feel free to uh, correct us on social media. But I do remember having to bust open the doors, uh, rolling dice in uh, Season 1. Talking to some other people that have played uh, Season 2 and 3, I believe that rule was changed. So it was nice to not have to waste any time uh, trying to open doors. With uh, the weapons, I would like to see a few more weapons that had access to uh, opening doors. That's the only complaint that I, I really, add it forces us to play strategically. Is pretty cool. that
1: and killing an abomination right now, at least in the three, three, four plays that we've done, seems to only be possible with a Molotov cocktail, and there aren't a lot of them in the deck. So you know, with the number of abominations that can come up, I would like to have a little bit like in Green Horde where we had the the plus uh weapons that do or you get
2: the catapult that can take it out and then an invader you can do concentrate fire which is pretty cool Uh, i do think that it does fit with the the theme of modern the fact that you do need the molotov to burn the abominations and i do find that you can move around the map easily enough to avoid them if you have to it's just going to Delay the game, which is okay, but grenade
1: launcher, flamethrower. I mean, that's still modern. I still think we can get rid of the uh, abomination with something like
2: that. Well, you know what? We haven't gone into the expansions and the extra cool gear that is in the reboot box. So we probably do have some cool stuff like that. But we're just playing the base game content and the one thing i do want to add and this will be the last thing before we get out of here we're getting close to our time limit is the kid survivors do have less hit points but they are able to use slippery once per turn which i think is really cool yeah. because it does let you move around the map a little bit more and it weakens the uh, the danger of the abomination you're not necessarily going to get stuck next to one and be just beaten to death and i like the fact that it does that because it makes the game a little bit more playable and friendly for people that want a more fun ameritrass experience
1: so more to come in our full review that will be coming out the day after this does so you can look it up on youtube and again we'd like to remind everybody to keep
2: keep playing playing games. games
3: And welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions, and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at tabletopbellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as Tabletop Bellhop. One word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that question to questions at tabletopbellhop.com. Or visit the webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop. Of course, the question I'm answering today is, what you've been playing this past week? So this past week, we managed to fit in an actual family game night. And due to that, I've got a lot more games than usual to talk about today. So I won't be sharing as much about each individual game. For more thoughts on these games, be sure to check out episode 131 of the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast on your podcatcher of choice up first i finally got to play disney villainous yeah at the tabletop bellhop unlike many podcasts we aren't really about the new hotness and often take a look at older games but in this case villainous was actually new to me and my kids i know i know what's taking me so long well first off it came out while i still didn't trust licensed games then there's the fact i'm just not a huge disney fan like i like their movies enough but i'm not a fanatic and neither are my kids And finally, at the time that game came out, I hadn't heard of Prospero Hall. And it's that last one that made me finally give the game a chance. I have loved some of Prospero Hall's newer games, like the Funkoverse series Horrified and Jaws. I'm sure most people listening know all about villainous and just how good it is, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, but wow, is this game ever well designed. I love asymmetry, and this is one of the most asymmetric games I've ever played. Now the neat bit I didn't expect is how self-contained each villain is due to the way you play cards from your opponent's decks on them themselves. What this means from a design standpoint is that you never have to worry about any odd expected combos and weird rule interactions. They're the kind of things that tend to plague many multiplayer card games. Up next, we played a bunch of games of A Little Wordy. This is the latest game from The Oatmeal and Exploding Kittens. I'm still somewhat in shock that Exploding Kittens put out not only a non-party game, but a two-player only word game. Even more surprising is the fact it's really good and clever word game. I think this is a wonderful deviation from their usual games, and I think it's going to be a great thing for the board game industry as a whole, just for getting more strategic games into the hands of more people in the mass market. Now, A Little Wordy is a word guessing game that rewards people for coming up with clever clues and not just coming up with the biggest word possible. You and your opponent get a set of letters and form a one to 11 word clue. You then swap your letters and use clue cards to try to guess your opponent's words, trying to do that in less clues than your opponent uses. This is a really neat twist on word based games and as well worth checking out. If you want more information on A little wordy, be sure to check out my review on the blog or on YouTube. Now this leads us to the biggest surprise of the week, which is Rail Pass from Mercury Games. This is a train game I'll be reviewing on our live show tonight. This is a pick-up-and-deliver train game where players literally physically load up trains with cubes and pass them to the other players, trying to get the right colored cubes to the right city. This is a real-time, cooperative train game with dexterity elements. Now, these are things that my wife, who I've game with all the time, usually hates. And the reason this is my biggest surprise of the week is the fact my wife somehow actually really enjoyed Rail Pass. Now, with food, I call this the sushi effect, because generally I hate all the things that go into sushi. Seaweed, cucumbers, mushrooms, Philly cheese, uh, most importantly, various types of fish. But somehow you put those things together and it's magical. And I think somehow the same thing happened here with Rail Pass and my wife. Somehow, a bunch of parts she doesn't like came together in a magical way. Now, I think Rail Pass is a true hidden gem, and I encourage you to check it out if you get the chance. Now, I know this is a show featuring Canadian podcasters, but the game is really deeply discounted on Amazon US right now, and potentially worth paying for shipping to Canada, so you might want to look into that. Next, I've got another train-themed game, and that is Great Western Trail. Now, it's another older game that's hugely popular that I'm finally getting to the table for the first time. Well, actually, that's a bit of a lie. I have played part of a game of Great Western Trail before at my local game store, but the game got cut shot. Short, sorry. This is my first time playing a full game. Now, Great Western Trail has won or been nominated for a huge number of awards. And now, having played it a full game, I see why. The mechanics and gameplay here are just brilliant. Now, it does have a bit of a learning curve. Uh, now that we played once, I am looking forward to playing a second time Now that we've kind of got the rules down. I think we'll enjoy future, enjoy future plays even more. Now, Great Western Trail was one of those games where when we were done, we were kind of burnt out. We were done. We had no interest in playing it again right away. But hours later, we were both still thinking about this game. And I went to bed thinking about ways I could have played better and things I could have done different. This is one of those games where we were still thinking about it a couple days later. And to me, that's a sign of a great game. That said, I do have to say I was shocked by the language used in Great Western Trail. Like, I get it. It's set in the Old West, right? You've got cowboys and everything. Well, I thought in 20... Well, I don't know when the game came out, but even even when the game did come out, I thought we were well past the point of calling Natives and Native Americans Indians. Uh, That's a term I haven't seen used in publication in a long time. Now, I know a new printing of Great Western Trail is on the way as part of some trilogy they're doing. And I hope they've taken the time to at least update their uh, vocabulary for the game and the way the natives are handled in the game. Finally, I did get in a few games of The Crew. Uh, this was over on Board Game Arena with one of our awesome Tabletop Bellhop Patreon patrons. Uh, we are loving The Crew. We, I have loved this game since first playing. I first played it on Board Game Arena and then got a copy of the game thanks to one of our fans. Would have bought it myself if I had the chance. And the Board Game Arena version of The Crew is excellently done. Though I gotta admit, all four of us did wish they had a way to track what cards have been played, other than just scrolling back through the play log. Now, as of this game night on the weekend, we have now reached the halfway point through the 50 missions included in the base game, and I do look forward to trying to finish the other 25, but wow, is the difficulty ramped up, but in a good way. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Find lots more gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com, and be sure to check out the podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights at 9pm Eastern on Twitch. At twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, with edited episodes showing up on your podcaster of choice on Tuesday mornings. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on.
4: Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? And this is a weekly podcast of Canadian folk talking about the games they've been playing.
5: (laughs) Canadian folk. Folk. (laughs) Canadian folk, eh?
4: (laughs) Wow. Already bashing the Canadians. Uh... Okay, on tonight's episode, I am going to be talking about a brand new Kickstarter that I got. This is one I have been waiting for... The longest I ever waited for a Kickstarter.
5: Yeah, it's been what, two years?
4: Oh, uh, I think 18 months, roughly. Yeah. Uh, this is Merchant's Cove. Uh, it's been a lot of pictures on Instagram, a lot of pictures on Twitter. Uh, it is an asymmetrical Euro game.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: if anybody has played Root, it's a little-known game that won Game of the Year a couple years ago. <laughs> this is similar, where everybody has their own mechanic they're playing and then they go to a main board and work or, or work on that main board
5: yeah so like it's really interesting because your main board uses different mechanics than everybody else like one's dice rolling and placement uh one's you almost potion explosion like uh you got rondelle movement uh yours was like sh- Ship movement
4: mine was pickup and delivery basically yeah
5: deliver goods so it's really interesting because everybody's doing something different you really can't uh plan to stop somebody else there's really not a lot of interaction either yeah the
4: interaction is on the main board you're building customers uh but to go back a little bit so the gist of it is or the the summary of it is everybody is a merchant They are creating goods on their main board and then going to the main board and selling them to the customers. Yeah. And the customer is going to be one of five customers or well, one of four customers plus a gray, which is a rogue, which are sort of the bad guys. Mm -hmm. They don't do anything good in the game. Uh, The more customers you can get to your peer that you're trying to sell to. And there's three different peers, one where you can sell your large goods, one where you can sell your medium or small goods. And one where you can sell either, but you get corruption. And corruption is symbols that lose you points at the end of the game.
5: Yeah, based yeah. on how many robbers there are.
4: Yeah, based on how many rogues...
5: Sorry, rogues, right.
4: ...are in the in their lair. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, we got all of them. We got all the rogues into the lair, yeah. which, you know, we, we really did a good job on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I mean, it didn't hurt me, Mom, or Jordan too much.
4: No, like, one of us who taught the game (laughs) may have got crushed by over 100 points by everybody but one person. Lapped. Yeah. Uh, I did not do well. I ended up losing 42 points to the Rogues. Mm -hmm. Nobody else lost a single point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that was probably where I went wrong. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not 100% sure.
5: I mean, you still wouldn't have been caught up. With I still us. wouldn't have caught up. You would have been lapped.
4: I, I did not catch on to this board game as well as everyone else did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggled fairly well. I had a very good time doing it. Yep. Uh, this game, production value on this game is excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's little miniatures. Uh, there's a lot of different pieces that use cardboard, uh, that you're building shelves and, or sail shelves and boats. Uh, there's not a lot of plastic to this game. They use a lot of wood tokens, uh, screen, screen printed meeples. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else is in there? There's some standees.
5: Oh, lots of standees. Like yeah. your, the goods you sell are all standees, right? Yes. And they're fun because once you build them, you put them on your sail shelf.
4: Yeah, uh, uh, the four main boards that come with the game are all double layer. Yep. Uh, they just, it's well thought out, it's well planned, and for the most part it felt balanced to me, because the three of you were all within ten points of each other.
5: I think we were within like five points almost. Yeah.
4: Well, I was not, as I mentioned, <laughs> but that was, I I didn't play it well. Yeah. Just flat out didn't play it well. I think my character has the ability to make points if I did it right.
1: Yeah.
5: And, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty easy to pick up. Like, my first round wasn't great, uh, but then the next two rounds I definitely set it up better and got a large amount of points. Yeah. Uh, I love the asymmetric. I thought it was really neat. I'm excited to try some of the expansion characters because they look pretty fun, like the uh, the innkeeper and the oracle. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and the dragon trainer or the dragon mm. rancher. Yeah. Really excited to try those.
4: Yeah, uh, in the game there's there's a lot going on on your board. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very tight. Uh, there's three rounds with 12 hours in a round or up to 12 hours in a round. yeah but once all the boats have moved to the piers, you basically have one more turn and, and then you go to end of end of game uh, selling basically end of round. Yeah, and you're gonna do that three times at the end of three rounds. Whoever has the most points wins. There's there's a little bit of end game scoring, and a big end game punishment if you've played it poorly.
5: <laughs> uh. Yeah, because the robbers only hurt you right at, or sorry, the rogues only hurt you right at the end. So yeah. you don't have to worry about the corruption necessarily throughout most of the game, other than at the end. Yes, and there are ways to get rid of it.
4: There there are lots of ways to get rid of it. I did not use any of them. <laughs> Or when I did, it still caught me. Uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that was Merchants Cove. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. I look forward to put, getting this to the table a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of variability to this game, and there's a lot to explore in this game. We've only played it once so far, uh, but the first playthrough was a lot of fun, and I really want to delve into this one and play all, play all the different uh, characters and stuff, and I, I, it's it's one of those ones i think you have to play each character a couple of times just to get an understanding on them uh, mm-hmm. i don't think we're gonna rotate as frequently off the start as to where you would later on
5: yeah we talked about doing what what and you know each character twice yeah yeah
4: okay i'm david and i'm shay and we are bored on air a weekly podcast on all your favorite podcasting sites and a radio show on cfcr in saskatoon Thursday nights at six o'clock. Have a great night.
7: Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. Uh, this week we've been playing one game. What have we been playing, Anna Marie?
8: We've been playing Dune Imperium, designed by Paul Denon and published by Direwolf Games.
7: Yeah, Dune Imperium. Uh, so Dune Imperium is a deck-building worker placement game based on the books and movies of Dune. And the art of this particular one is based off the new movie coming from Legendary Pictures, I believe. It's a one-to-four player game, um, but it also has a, an AI Player, So if you're playing with one or two players, which we were, you play with a th- second or third AI character, which is really cool. But um, yeah, you're playing as one of the characters from one of the four great houses of Landsrad uh, from House Richies, House Atreides, House Thorvald, or Har- House Harkonnen. Um, it's played over 10 rounds or 10 victory points can trigger the end of the game as well. Um, And you have a starting deck size of 10 cards, and everyone starts with the same starting deck, which is really cool. And you will have five cards in your hand. The cards in your hands will have multiple uses, which is pretty cool. Um, On each card, we'll have a different set of symbols and those symbols represent different sections of the board where you're going to be able to place one of your workers also known as agents in this game so on your turn you're going to play one of your cards uh, and it's going to have a symbol and you get to choose uh, which card you want to use and what symbol to use and that symbol is going to dictate where you put your agent and that agent's going to go out onto the board and on that worker placement area spot Uh, You're going to gain influence with one of the different factions in the game, which are the Fremen, the uh, Bene... What are they called? Bene Gesserit? Yeah. Yeah. And the Spacing Guild and the Emperor, I believe. And, um, yeah, you can either gain influence or you can bolster your military or you can gain resources like spice and water and money. Spice Um, must flow. Yeah, the spice must flow. And it does in this game... And, uh, yeah, when all for you, your, yeah, for me, for <laughs> sure. I always have a load of spice. Um, you could also get intrigue cards, which are really cool cards. They're either like instant cards that can help you right now, or they can help you during combat or they can help you at the end of the game scoring, things like that. Um, and once you've placed both or usually, cause you, you only have, you start with two agents. Right. And when you've placed both of them, or all your agents because you can acquire more but generally speaking you have two once you place them both you then on your next turn lay down whatever cards you have left in your hand which is usually three and those three cards are going to be used they have multiple uh they have the multi-uses right so on the bottom they'll tell you how many points you have to spend on influence for buying more cards so that's when you start uh the the deck building part of the game And you can also bolster your military, which is really helpful because the game is uh, built with the 10 rounds in place. And what are those cards called that you flip over? I don't remember. Either way, there's 10 round cards. And uh, those cards or conflict, conflict cards, I think, or something like that. Probably, something like that. But you uh, flip over those cards, and it's going to tell you what is winnable for the conflict for that round. And usually there's victory points on the line or other like uh entry cards up in influence, yeah moving up in your influence things getting like spice, that water yeah and those are huge in this game yeah. um and because victory points they're they're hard to come by and when they're on the board they're hard to get so it, it's uh really all about those cards winning the combats basically wins you this game so yeah Marie, tell us uh what you like about the game
8: yeah, well, to start, I had never watched Dune or read the book, right? Books, yeah, so yeah. we watched it this week, so I got to get all caught up. Yeah, we out. watched
7: it before we played the game. Yeah, yeah that's cool, So yeah. it's
8: kind of fun. You got to see young Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings playing yeah. the same kind of slimy, slimy yeah. character. Exactly. Um, but that aside, uh, I found that the game was very well balanced. Um, yeah. It, and, like, you had to be balanced in all areas or you wouldn't do well. You know, like, combat is super important,
5: mm-hmm. but... Yeah, yeah
8: having intrigue cards can really help with a battle. Yeah. So if you just went heavy into combat and didn't have any cards or, you know, didn't have anything to maybe mitigate it, you know, it it wouldn't help. Um, you also need influence to help with getting victory points. Cause if you just tried to win battles and somebody else is running up the track and doing battles, you're not going to have those victory points. Um, you'd be hard pressed to win, I think without moving up on that influence track. (laughs) Um, and the AI I was going to mention too that you were saying uh, house haggle they yeah. call them yeah it's a very simple way to limit movement in a two player game
7: yeah it's one of the best AI or the easiest yeah. AI I've ever usually uh, worked with in a game
8: yeah so um, what I was going to say yeah. is that i i uh, i didn't find it intrusive or hard no. to play with
7: no and it Simply wasn't flip over a card yeah
8: it was really it was easy i liked that yeah. that AI Um, and it, it was just a nice way to, yeah, like I
7: said, limit movement. So you couldn't go to everywhere you wanted to go. Exactly. Just simply blocking spots from us, uh, during the round, which is really cool.
8: Yeah. And our, our games have all been really tight and they came down to the last turn. I, so, you know, we didn't know who was going to win. We thought other people would win. And then, you know, you think I thought you were going to win and then I would win. And it it was just,
7: (laughs) Anna Marie's reign of terror continues as she, (laughs) Uh, even when I thought I had her uh, in the games we've played, she's come from behind and uh, okay. scored the victory.
8: But I got that with an intrigue card at the, yeah. that I picked up on the last round, and a card that I was able to pick up on the last round too, that allowed me to put troops out. Otherwise, I had no chance. Like it, it was right. luck of yeah. luck of
7: cards. Luck, oh yeah, right, uh, the luck of the draw for sure, but. It shows you how powerful the intrigue cards are in this game. Yeah, um, they are hugely beneficial. So, I, and I learned that too late in this last game we played. I tried to really focus on the intrigue cards, and it really helped. But yeah. mind you, it still didn't win. But, but it was one point, like, and it was yeah. right at the end by that yeah. one
8: intrigue card I had. But I, I found that the games were really tight, and they've just they've. Done a great job of balancing it. It yeah. wasn't a, a runaway victory or anything like that. And no. yeah, I'm I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to watching the next movie that comes out. Yeah, exactly.
7: <laughs> I, I feel the theme was really kinda fairly strong in this game too. It really felt like we were kind of, you know, pushing factions like at war with each other and trying to get spice. Yeah, trying to get the spice. And, and water. And, right. And then like yeah, we're trying yeah. to and get the influence with the other uh, the, the different factions, the Fremen and, and so forth and the Emperor. Money it, was there, but didn't seem like that. I wasn't focusing on money, and it no, you kind of focus in all realms, and it kind of just yeah. comes together. The game's great, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we'll probably leave it at that. So we're late to the party with Dune Imperium, but we do really like it. It would have been one of my it. favorite yep. games from 2020 had I played it in 2020. <laughs> so we got to run. Uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers, see ya.
9: Bye. Hey everybody, Matt here from Friday Night Games. John couldn't make it tonight because he is sleeping. We were recording late for a podcast that will come out in two weeks about the Golden Geek Awards, the 15th annual awards for board games by BoardGameGeek.com You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official Twitter at FridayNightGMS and on our website at FridayNight.Games Tonight I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite games called Aeon's End by Indie Boards and Cards. And designed by Kevin Riley, There are a lot of games. So there's a lot of artists. I'm not going to go through all the artists. It is a fantasy co-op campaign deck building game. Where you're always trying to save Gravenholt. Which is a city that you mages are trying to defend. From an epic boss. Which is called a nemesis. The game is a, is a deck builder. And has the base of any deck builder. But it has a couple key twists. So to win... You must not let the town Gravenhold's health drop to zero. And to win, you also defeat the Nemesis by generally bringing its health down to zero. But there are tons of bosses, and some of them are not simply defeated in that way. But generally, that's how you win. At the start of the game, you will choose a Breach Mage, and you'll choose a Nemesis. You prepare the Nemesis deck, which consists of creatures, abilities, and attacks. And that is actually separated into three different phases by each phase increasing in difficulty as you reveal more and more cards from that deck. And you'll also grab any other tokens or cards and set them aside that will help that the nemesis needs to fight you with. You then prepare a turn deck which is made up of six cards, two nemesis and four player turns. You start with a hand of five cards, which is predetermined by your mage. And you have a deck of five cards, which is also predetermined by your mage. Your character... A Breach Mage will start with a very powerful ability that you will get to use by paying resources for charges. And you will start with a certain number of breaches determined by your character card, which is an area where you are able to prep your spells during your turn. And at the very beginning of your turn, you can unleash your spell to do damage to either creatures or the nemesis itself. At the start of a player turn you may cast your prep spells you then play your cards from your hand to either your prep area which is empty and doesn't have a spell or you play direct abilities or you play gems which give you resources for purchasing better cards from the market which is in the center the market is made up of nine cards which is gems abilities and spells you can also add charges And you can also use your ability if you have all the charges needed to use your ability, which generally gives either more damage or helps out other characters or a whole slew of things. There's a bajillion mages as the game goes on. Whichever mage you choose, you'll have fun. Trust me. Cards played go into your discard pile in the order purchased. And then you may put the cards played to purchase those cards onto the discard pile in any order. So there's actually control over this. You don't shuffle your discard pile. You actually just flip it over when you need to draw a card. And then so you kind of determine the order of your deck and how you draw them. A Nemesis turn consists of activating any abilities that are out in play, removing charges from a power that will unleash huge damage or completely destroy you and then you draw another nemesis card which you then must face or resolve right away and no doubt about it this game is really tough and hard to beat and it is super super fun what's that john oh what did i like about it well that's pretty simple i really love this game i actually really really like it and i'm glad that i brought it to the table so as a group we played uh the new age version of aeon's end via tabletop simulator although i do own the game and i have played through the campaign and i really love it um, when we played the, we played our games, we did a totally randomized game, which included randomized mages, randomized spells, randomized marketplace and randomized nemesis battle. This is probably my favorite deck builder game ever. So I'm glad that I got to share that with all of my friends. Note the game plays over a campaign where you reveal more story and you get more decisions to make for your character that which make your character better. You gate, sometimes you gain treasures and you even change the marketplace as you go through. Um, which is important to strategize for the next nemesis you fight. But in a randomized game, you don't get that choice. It just is what it is. I love the customization of that marketplace and the strategy for beating the nemesis. The nemesis feel epic. You feel like you're fighting this huge boss, which is totally destroying you, and all the games usually come down to the wire. Although I must admit, as you play through a campaign, you usually get better, and the cards you play... Um, you're generally good at creating the combos with your marketplace. So it's, it gets a little easier as you get further in the campaign. But right at the very beginning, when you have limited cards, it's actually really tough. And I love how your deck ramps up. So as the game progresses, as you fight a nemesis and the game progresses, you get these more and more powerful cards. And it's very satisfying to pull together this huge, like 20. And yes, you can get like a 10 or 20 point hit of damage on the enemy, which is amazing because the enemies usually have about 70 to 90 health. So when, so when you start getting to that point in the game, you're like, oh, you know you're going to win. All you need is two turns. That's kind of where it gets down to the wire because you're low on health or Gravenhold's low on health and the Nemesis is super high on health, but you're pulling off these devastating combos, which gets you so close. and kind of gets you worked up because you realize you built up to this exact moment. Look, I really love this game. You got to go try it. Okay, what didn't I like? Well, the game does lead to if someone in your group is controlling or likes to take control of the game, it definitely allows for that. And they'll kind of influence your decisions because you're sharing decks and because you have all the cards in front of you, they can kind of guess what you're going to do or what we need to take on. So somebody who's experienced or wants to take control can. And that that's not good for players who like to think and do their own thing. So it could be off-putting. But if... You, if you don't like that, you can play on your own too, which is pretty awesome. I love the campaign and I'm a huge fan of it, but I wasn't a huge fan of playing a random game. So we played two, and the first game was just so random, Like our characters didn't even synergize well. They were from different sets, and so that didn't really play very well to our advantage, and so we actually got stomped. We got destroyed. Our second game, we actually had two mages that really worked well together. One mage would destroy a breach and give you plus two damage on that which was phenomenal so we were taking like one damage spells and turning them into three damage and then we had a card in the marketplace that allowed us to attach two spells per breach look it was just synergy all around the board and we're able to even though we had a ton of synergy the game was actually still pretty close but we had a ton of fun everyone was super excited when we and it felt so rewarding when you beat that really hard nemesis boss Oh, John wants to know how we played it wrong. Well, uh, I've actually played uh, um, the Legacy campaign and I played the New Age campaign. And because it, that's, you know, that's almost like seven to 10 games each, you know, it's almost 20 games. I played enough of it that I knew how to play. So we didn't really play it wrong at all. But if there's one thing that you need to be careful of, it's just don't shuffle your discard pile. Make sure you just flip it. Other than that, you'll be fine. Okay. Well, uh, if you like what you hear, you can check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Friday Night we release a podcast every Friday. This week is going to be on fear of missing out in the board game industry. So check us out. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
10: Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers. Jamie Stegmeyer as a designer and Stonemaier Games as a publisher have always hit the mark for me as a board gamer. It was Scythe that really blew my mind and had me interested in their other designs, such as Euphoria and Viticulture. Jamie Stegmeier, along with Alexander Schmidt, have teamed up to bring us Red Rising and a 2021 release from Stonemaier Games here. Red Rising theme is based on a book series by Pierce Brown featuring a dystopian society divided into 14 casts. I myself have not read this series, but after playing the game a few times, I'm very interested in exploring what these novels have to offer. In Red Rising, you represent a house attempting to rise to power as you piece together an assortment of followers represented by the hand of cards. There are 112 character cards in the game and they are separated into 14 different colors that represent these casts. Starting with a hand of 5 cards, you will try to manipulate your hands so that they synergize together to maximize your point total by the end of the game. You see, every card has a base value of points it's worth, but each card also has extra points that that card can be worth if some conditions are met. Extra points if another particular card is in your hand, extra points for being paired with another color, extra points if you have the most of something, extra points if you have different or same colors, even losing points if another card is in your hand. The list goes on and on and on. On your turn, you will do one of two things, deploy or scout. Deploying is where the majority of the game takes place, and this requires a player to deploy a card onto the one of the four locations and resolving that card's deploy effect. And there are a wide variety of deploy effects. Afterwards, you will select a new card to recruit into your hand from a different location than you deployed to. This location you recruit from will also trigger an action. So if you recruit from... Jupiter, you will move up on the fleet track, which is just worth a certain number of points depending on how far along you advance. Mars, where you will collect helium crystals, and these crystals are worth three points each at the end of the game. The Institute allows a player to place an influence cube, and whoever has a majority here at the end of the game will, well you guessed it, score more points. And Luna, which will claim you the sovereign token to trigger your house's special ability. Scouting is an action where you, may be satis- where you may be satisfied with the card synergy in your hand already and just want to push the end of the game trigger. So here you just simply just draw the top card off the deck and place it into one of the locations, gaining the action of that location. The end of the game is triggered when three conditions are met separately or if one player meets two conditions themselves. We're looking for it if someone has on space seven of the fleet track, someone has seven helium crystals, or someone has seven influence in the Institute. Seven must be a very important number in in this series. I didn't have any expectations going into Red Rising, as all I heard was that it was a card game based on a book series that I haven't even read. Now, the gameplay is very clever and very elegant. Deploy a card and recruit a card. Where things get a little bogged down is is in the deploy effects, There are so many different effects, and they are all described in text on the cards. This slows down the start of the game as everyone is reading what their cards do and how they score points. This is where the game really, really slows down. I would say it even slows down when you're trying to read cards that are all out on the board and when you're trying to recruit. I would suggest some sort of iconography on the deploy effects, but I don't even think that's feasible with the sheer number of effects that are on these cards. I really enjoy the puzzle of putting cards together to score the extra amount of points. Quite often you'll have a, hand of, you'll have a card that doesn't seem very useful and then all of a sudden you find that one card that does work and it's very satisfying. On the flip side, this can also be very frustrating as you may be looking for cards to synergize and they just don't seem to appear or come up. The randomness of that opening hand of five cards can dictate how a particular game is going to play out. Someone might be dealt five cards in which three of them work really well together while the exact opposite is happening to another player at the table. It is very difficult to increase your hand size beyond the five cards. There are cards that will allow you through some sort of effects to gain an extra card other than the one that you recruit, essentially increasing your hand size. There are cards that make other players discard cards from your hand as well, decreasing their hand size. And that is another frustrating event that can happen. And That's not always going to happen, but it can happen because of how hard it is to actually increase your hand size. The artwork and graphic design are absolutely stunning and very well done. Enough that I really want to explore what this world has to offer. I had pre-ordered the collector's edition, which does have a few extra goodies than the retail edition does has. Card holders in each of the house colors, and these are very nice, but the main complaint here is that they tip over way too easily. Sometimes I just feel like I've breathed wrong and they fall over. A slightly larger, thicker base would have taken care of that. Luckily, Norm has made me some really nice wooden holders that I can use. Gold foiling on the gold faction cards is... is to really set them apart from the yellow faction. Super nice quality, very nice to look at, but the pressing of the foiling did seep through to the backs of the cards. So in the right light, you can tell that the gold cards are coming up if they're face down or even in someone else's hands because of that embossing. The storage insert is very well done. No complaint at all, very nice. Um, The metal influence cubes and the fleet tracker all in player colors. A couple of the colors, like the yellow and gold, are really difficult to tell apart if they're used in the same game. Not sure a way around this other than just not using metal, and that just wouldn't look and feel the same. This upgrade pack available uh, when the is available to purchase when the retail release of the game comes available. But in my opinion, I don't think that it's very necessary to purchase to enjoy what this game has to offer. The gameplay is solid, not perfect, but a very enjoyable puzzle every time that you play, and the gameplay, I feel, is not enhanced with those upgraded components. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, hosted on Podbean, and everywhere else that you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers Cardboard Conjecture. And also be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, see what we've been up to lately. And you might want to check out our YouTube channel, even though it's kind of, you know lacking a little bit as as of late all right folks that's what i've been playing on wednesdays and i'll see you next time i decide to join on take care now
6: hey everyone chad here from of dice and men the board game podcast that sometimes releases content every now and then I swear we're going to record a new episode this week, Scouts Honor. Part of the reason why we've been so lax in our shows lately is a huge pile of unplayed games, at the top of which is The Initiative, a new release from Corey Konitska, published by his new studio, Unexpected Games. Now, Corey is one of my favorite designers of all time, having worked on Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, Star Wars Rebellion, Battlestar Galactica, Eldritch Horror, Forbidden Stars, Mansions of Madness... So it's probably a little unfair the amount of pressure I've put on this release, but luckily the game doesn't disappoint. The Initiative is a cooperative board game for 1-4 players that has each person controlling a pre playing a board game. Yep, you're a player, playing as a player, who's playing a board game. It's very meta. While that may sound confusing, in reality it's not at all, and really just gives a hook into the campaign storyline you explore as you learn the game's mechanics. The storyline revolves around an interesting narrative between the four friends who've stumbled across an old board game at a yard sale called The Key, which of course turns out to be the game you actually play. As the narrative proceeds, you learn more about each kid and their situation, and the puzzles you solve while you play end up intertwined with the story. The game itself is an action selection movement puzzle combined with a different word or number riddle that you obtain clues for as you collect items through play. The action selection mechanic is one of my favorite things about the game. On your turn, you have access to three different actions that will allow you to move, peek, and gather clues on the board. The trick is, to use an action, you have to play a numbered card from your hand, which ranges from 1 to 12, across three different suits. The card you play to use an action has to be higher than any card already played on the action, which creates an interesting set of limitations that each player has to resolve on their turn. To add to the decision space, there's a fourth action available to players, regroup. Regroup allows you to clear the pile of cards played to any one action, so you can free up your gather action after your neighbor is forced to play a high card. Regroup follows the same rules, however, and you can't clear regroup itself, so there's only so many times you can rely on that ability before you're forced into a tight corner. The ultimate goal of each mission is to solve a riddle, clues of which are revealed as symbols are gathered from the map. The game comes with a Wheel of Fortune-esque component showing symbols at the top of each card and a small door that gets flipped open with each successful gather. The riddles so far have included simple phrases, very much like Wheel of Fortune, unscrambling letters, even number patterns. At any point in the game you can choose to guess the answer of the riddle, which decides whether you win or lose the mission. The riddle mechanic adds a nice touch of variety to the game, but also comes with a few drawbacks, the first being that the missions are one and done for players. Once you know the answer to a mission's riddle, there's not really much point in replaying it again, and even if you lose the mission, you can't try it again as you had to see the answer in order to lose. Luckily, they've included about 24 post-campaign missions in the game, and have promised to release more online through their Mission Control web app. The other problem with the riddle mechanic is that you might just solve the riddle with a few key letters revealed. This only happened to me once in the first 10 missions that I've played, but I was able to solve the common phrase within about 5 turns. The game only takes a few minutes to set up and about 30-45 to 45 minutes to play, so it's not a big deal, but certainly something to be aware of. There's also a bit of the game timer mechanic, where you can fail a mission based on time cards that are added to the draw pile once it's shuffled. The game shifts to panic mode, where each player draw could potentially end the game, so it really forces players to strategize and make the most of their last turns in an attempt to solve the riddle. Despite my short play outlined earlier, most of my missions have ended in this panic state, adding much-needed tension to the back half of the game. Between each completed mission, the campaign progresses using the beautifully illustrated guidebook, which is presented in a comic book style. The comic pages themselves often have riddles embedded within, which affect your story narrative, but don't seem to affect the mission gameplay, at least not as far as I've experienced. There is some overlap between mission content and the guidebook, but the campaign mostly serves as a tutorial-ish way of introducing new mechanics to players as they play and eventually get to the post-campaign missions. Combining the earlier mentioned clever action selection mechanic with things like player powers, traps on the board, and a unique riddle every time, and you've got a good campaign game that I compared to an experience like Pandemic in terms of co-op gameplay and quality. The game does play solo, but I'd advise playing with others, as that's where a lot of the difficulty and collaboration comes from. I found the game a little bit easy with only one character, and it doesn't really work controlling two characters as your hand of cards is supposed to be secret. Since we last spoke, I've officially retired from Twitch, but you can still listen to our ramblings about board games anywhere podcasts can be found. Just simply search for Of Dice and Men, skip the more popular RPG podcast, and check us out. Our next episode is supposed to be later this week, where we discuss the meta hobby, the things we do outside of actually playing our games that support our games. See you
1: later.
11: I am Aaron Milich and I'm Royce Calverly and we are definitely a board game podcast a podcast definitely about board games except when they're not and it's Wednesday again and here we are Royce what you been playing on Wednesday it's Wednesday
12: yes it is yes it is all right I played and (laughs) I guess I I, you would say I've re-fallen in love with a game nice And it's because it's now available on BGA and I've been able to sort of get other people to play it. I'm talking about Fleet the card game, the original Fleet. Right. The Fleet that started the Fleet Empires. Before Fleet Arctic Waters and Fleet the Dice Game, there was Fleet. Just Fleet. Yeah. So Fleet is a card game by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. It's released by Eagle Griffin Games. It came out in 2012. Fleet is a game where you are acquiring licenses to go fishing, and you do that through an auction format. And then there is a card, multi-use card system where you play cards down as boats, you play cards down as captains, you use cards for currency. And you do all of the things that you would do in the later Fleet the Dice game, which has become a a very critical darling. Uh, But you do it with just a deck of cards. Oh, okay. And it's great. It's an amazing game. I love everything from the auction that start to the multi-use cards that you have to constantly be thinking about. All the special powers you get from the various different licenses are, are amazing. I just really liked Fleet the Di- uh, Fleet the Card Game. Right. And it was very interesting because when I sort of polled our group after we played Fleet the Card Game a couple times, we were split right down the middle. Two of us preferred Fleet the Card Game. I was in that group. And two of us preferred Fleet the Dice Game and thought it was the better game that played the same theme in a very, very different way. Right. So excellent. Fleet the Card Game, highly recommended. Uh, It's not very expensive. You can pick it up. It's a great auction multi-use card game.
11: Right. And now I have not played that one, but I have played Fleet the Dice Game, and I would recommend that one. It's a lot of fun. So you and I should sit down on BGA and play
12: Fleet the Card Game and see how you feel about it.
11: Yeah, I'd love to learn a new one. That would be that would be awesome. All right. Well, I've been playing a game that I'm going to mess up the name now. Even though I was born and raised in Canada, my French ability is less than zero. But I'm going to give this a try. Paris, La Cite de la Lumière. How was that? Paris, the City of Lights. Very good. Well, you knew what I was saying, so that's a good sign. (laughs) I'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. This one came out in 2019 by Devere Games, Jose Antonio Abascal. And uh, I bought this one kind of on a blind buy. I was going to be getting some other games and I thought, you know what? I'm going to grab a a cheapy two-player game. It looks cool. We went to Paris for a honeymoon. I'm like, you know, how bad can it really be? It ended up being a fantastic game. Really enjoyable. Uh, the way it works, it's sort of a tile-laying polyomino game, if that makes okay. any sense. So yeah. the board is actually inside the game box. It does not come out. And it's a sidewalk. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in the first phase of the game, you're allowed to lay down tiles. And on each tile will be the colors blue and orange and purple. Blue and orange are the player one and two colors, and purple is kind of a neutral color. So you can lay down one of those tiles anywhere on the board. The other action you can take in phase one is to grab one of the Paris buildings, which are polyomino-shaped. So you're trying to lay down the tiles to allow you the opportunity to lay down those buildings later. And then once you've laid down all of your tiles and you've taken all the buildings that you want to take, you start phase two, which is laying down those tiles and claiming those uh, those buildings as your own. Uh, And also there are postcards, these amazing, really beautiful, authentic looking French postcards. They have one for like um, the Metropolitan, like the subway Uh, And there's one for, um, there's like restaurants and all these things really, uh, there's a magician one that says levitation. There's all these beautiful old vintage looking postcards. Even the back are nicely like, you know, fading away a little bit. And each one of those have actions on them and little tiles you can grab to help you uh, accomplish your goals. Where it gets tricky is if you end up with a building you can't lay down, then you're going to lose points. You definitely want to make sure you're setting yourself up to lay down those buildings and then hope that your opponent doesn't take the space you need to lay down your building. However, you might get lucky and another space has opened itself up. So there's a little bit of luck involved, a bit of chance involved, but a lot of strategy involved. I love the look of it. It's very tiny. The, the detail that's been paid to it, especially with those postcards, uh, I, I felt it was a, for, the, for the price just an excellent beautiful little game doesn't take long to play doesn't take long to learn um but definitely lots of depth there and lots of replayability so highly recommend uh peri la city del lumiere and you said it was Devere games are I, I don't have you ever played any other Devere games yeah i've got a,
12: a few Devere games i i quite like the Devere games right. uh the tend to be a little bit unusual. They have some interesting mechanics. Sometimes it works better than others, but I like Devere for the most part. I, I'm always interested. They do some neat, especially two-player games. Yeah.
11: Oh, yeah, I forgot. Sometimes on the tiles there are uh, street lights, which is the whole point of the game. I, I'm forgetting that. It seems kind of dumb. But the whole point is you want to light up your buildings as well, so you get points for the more lights that are lighting up your buildings. And there's even a little a painter, and if you place him on the board... He, the the lights he's actually touching not interrupted by buildings you get points for that too so the lights is the most important part of the game you want to light up your city uh essentially so really fun really good and if you've just if it's just the two of you and you're looking for something light and uh, fun to play definitely grab a copy
12: is it thematic do you feel like you're just walking arm in arm down rue Saint jacques along the sienne munching on a pan chocolat? i'm not sure about that but i will say those postcards
11: definitely brought me back to my honeymoon for sure, Excellent. especially all the landmarks that are on the postcards. I'm, I'm forgetting them now because I'm stupid, but <laughs> there's a lot of great postcards and they look beautiful. So that part, yeah, that theme, that part of the theme I really enjoyed.
12: Excellent. All right. That's us. We That's what we've been playing Wednesday. We are definitely a board game podcast. Where can they find us, Aaron? Well, the best way to listen
11: to us is either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or on our Buzzsprout website. Just Google Definitely Board Game Podcast. You'll find us there. We're on all of the major streaming services, including iHeartRadio and all of those as well. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at definitelyboard at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Board Definitely. We're on Facebook at Definitely Board. And we're also on the Board Game Geek with our guild. So just search for Definitely Board Game Podcast there. Reach out anytime. And Hope you check us out every other week. We have brand new episodes, special guests all the time. We have a great time. So if you like our silly sense of humor, definitely come check us out.
12: Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Bye, everybody.
13: Hi, everyone. Matthew here from Montreal-based board game publisher, Scopion Masquet. Later this week, on Thursday, we will be putting online the third challenge for mixing Zombie Kids Evolution and Zombie Teens Evolution. It's a cool way to keep the games alive once you've finished playing the challenges in the box. Visit Scorpionmasque.com to see what it's all about. Now, I've played Twilight Imperium a few times. Massive, epic, nine-hour campaigns that left everyone drained but happy, and also angry. Uh, when I got into the hobby, I played four to six hour games of Arkham Horror. Close the damn portals! Close them again! Close the Okay, this is going nowhere and now shub is awake. I've agonized for hours over, over uh, Robinson Crusoe as my character slowly dies from being bitten by diseased puma in the snow as lava burbles through his tent flaps. And those experiences were amazing and unforgettable. But you know what? They were also forgettable. I mean, I can't really remember much from those Twilight Imperium games, to be honest. And they were not always super fun or ultimately rewarding. Yet again, we freeze to death on the cursed island, or Azathoth just freaking eats the planet on his first attack. But what's not so easily forgettable is a good feeling. A warm, happy feeling. And you know what creates that feeling for me? little games little silly games little fun silly games that you play with just the right people in just the right mood and that for me is the pinnacle of gaming you can take your painted miniatures and your dodecahedrons and your rule book with the qr code to the link of the 10 sheets of frequently asked questions and give me a deck of cards and a little foldy-outy rule sheet and i'm as happy as larry now as you can probably imagine I played a little game this week, a couple of them, actually, online, of course, on BGA, with some really cool friends. The first game we played was Coloretto, that 2003 classic. Yikes, it's almost 20 years old. By Michael Schacht, who, it turns out, also designed Lucky Numbers, another great little game I talked about a while back. Now, how do you play Coloretto? Well, it's so simple. On your turn, you flip a card into one of two to four rows, depending on the number of players you are. Or, you take all the cards in one of the rows and put them face up in front of you. (laughs) And that's it. The catch, though, is that you have to put all the cards of the same color together. And you will only score three colors at the end of the game. All the other colors will count against you. So you have to try avoiding collecting lots of different colors. But sometimes you can't. And especially when one of the other players knows that you want row two, but they just put the pink card on there, and then then that's totally going to mess you up. Or even worse, when you're the last player remaining in the round, I mean, you stop playing for the round once you've picked up a row of cards, and there's a red card there, which is good, and you decide to push your luck by flipping a card, hoping for another red, or a brown, or or even a blue. (laughs) And you get a grey. So you decide to fix that by flipping one more card. And it's an orange. (laughs) An orange. Why is it an orange? Why? Why? This game creates so many moments of hilarious frustration and sweet, sweet satisfaction. The exact right card comes up or nobody notices that you need row number one and you manage to snatch it up. It's mean and nasty, but nobody gets hurt, because the rounds are so quick. And you know that even the meanest move, well, it's exactly what you would have done in their position. Coloretto is awesome. Now, the other game I played was Six Nimt, A game from, whew, 1984, whew, by Wolfgang Kramer, no less. I, I just looked that up, as a matter of fact, and both of those things are amazing to me. Now, I'd never played this game before. And it was explained to me like this. You don't want a lot of bullhorns, which are printed on the cards. You play a card from your hand, and then you see what happens. I ended up winning my first game. I, uh, blame my superior tactical skills, of course. (laughs) Basically, you're putting numbers in increasing order from left to right with cards from your hand. There are rows, again, where you place your cards. And if you're the person who plays the sixth card in any row, you collect all the cards in that row, and they count against your score. You start with 66 points, and the first person to go lower than zero loses, and the person with the highest score at that point, wins! So it's kind of a mind reading game as a matter of fact, because you're playing cards simultaneously, face down, and trying to figure out what your opponents are going to do to completely screw you over, or set you up for the move of the century. If you have low cards, you can play them prematurely to take a row, so that's another little strategy that can work to your advantage too. And I'm not going to lie, there was swearing and laughing and bafflement and bragging and begging, and it was delightful. The guy quietly lording his unblemished score over us becomes public enemy number one, and we flop and scamper around trying to do something, anything, to unseat him. Now, the best part of these games, Coloretto, Six Nymphed, and all of the games like that, is that you can revel in the momentary nastiness. And the, fe- and the fleeting glory, because so much of it is determined by the flip of a card or the choice of a row. Nobody cares if you yell BOOM after drawing a red card, because, well, if it was you, you'd do the same thing. You're not making it so your opponent can't feed her family at the end of the round. You're making it so that she takes another color into her tableau. <laughs> you got gray now. BOOM! and you laugh and boast and badmouth your way through these games all evening, and it's cleansing. It's gaming in its purest form. There's no theme, just people being awesome and horrible, but doing it because it's just freaking fun. Play more little games, but make them big events. Don't undermine a little game by calling it a filler. Make those games your main course, and dive into them like they're a, a plate of crazy hors d'oeuvres that will not only fill you up, but also make excellent projectile weapons. Do it. It's the best. So thanks for listening, everyone. This has been Matthew from Scorpion Masque. Please visit our website, scorpionmasque.com, to read our blog, to find out about our games, and to meet our team. I'll see you all next time.
0: Hey there, it's Norm from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And as always, let's go to the Facebook page and see what the community has been playing. All right, Jason. Amy and I played Castles of Burgundy. I love that game. Uh, Bricks and Roleplayer this week. Roleplayer is kind of Sagrada with a theme. Uh, a, a fantasy roleplaying theme. Cool. Um, hands. Yeah, I always know this is gonna start the menu off. Terraforming Mars. Speaking of Sagrada, Merlin, the Magnificent. I've heard a lot of cool things. Ryan talks about the Magnificent a lot. He says he really likes that game. The Whatnot Cabinet. I've heard that before. I've not seen it, but cool. Very cool name too. Silver and Gold. Oh yeah, Phil Walker Harding. Little flip and right kind of coolness with uh, with erasable markers and stuff. Yay. Uh, Jeff. Starting to play more solo games. <laughs> Yay! Yeah! Woohoo! Uh, got to uh, got uh, first two plays of a non solo Hadrian's Wall. That's the new thing lately, isn't it? Uh, he also uh, qu- quick sc- screenshot. Uh, Bonfire, go nuts for donuts. Uh, Praga kaput regni. Roll for the Galaxy and Spirit Island. Wow, that's a pretty cool lineup. Got heavy at the end there. Spirit Island. I love that game. The Island Fights Back. Lane. Marvel United and Monochrome Inc. I have not heard of Monochrome Inc. Maybe it's one dimensional. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Eli. Adventure Tactics. I think. I don't know if I've heard that one before. Uh, Marianne is playing Croft Wagon. Yeah. That's an awesome game, Rondells. Yeah. And it's uh, about uh, building building early vehicles in Germany. So, yay. Um, very cool game. Very cool game. Um, let's see, Travis. Stone Age. Yeah, worker placement wonderness. Uh, speaking of, I think uh, Bridge City Board Gamers is having a Stone Age tournament. So, that was a little segue. Nice. Thank you, Travis. Dutch Blitz um lords of water deep and underwater cities yay underwater cities ah you know i could make some people cranky but i like underwater cities as an engine builder better than terraforming mars <gasps> i said it i did okay uh moving on tim wingspan you know speaking of engine builders that's a solid one and the the art is gorgeous it's gorgeous uh keeping going We have Brian, Dice Throne, with my daughter and some online Gloomhaven. Dice Throne, yeah, that's a fun game. Um, I mean, if you're like me, dice hate me, so... uh, But yeah, I'll still play that. Garth, yesterday was a gift without meaning to. I had my family play Scythe. Wow, that's love, isn't it? Isn't it? That's beautiful. Cool. Well... Um, we're closing in on a very good episode and I would like to remind uh, everybody that if you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be a, such a great gift and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. And as always, let's end that episode with take care out there and keep your sticking on the ice, eh? this episode of what you've been playing wednesday has been brought to you by the crew of cardboard conjecture where team is always spelt with an a A. Eh?